everybody? Welcome to Draft Chaff. This is episode number 17. My name is Zach, and joining me as always is Ben Fisher. Ben, what's up? Uh, you know, it's going pretty well. Uh, I got a got done a long day at school, got 25 labs to grade tonight, but uh, in the meantime, I'm ready to get crabby. Oh boy. Yeah, that's uh, this week we're talking about our main Draft Chaff hero for Zendikar Rising, but before we get into that, we have You're a few things gonna... we need. Nope. No, they'll have to wait. It's totally not in the episode title. Oh, yeah. Before we get to that, of course, we have to talk about the Discord. We flaunt this every single week, uh, but the discussions there have been really great. People are joining more and more, and we've got quite a few folks over there just chatting about Limited. We've got a few open sections about uh, Constructed. Um, <laughs> I shuddered there to say it, but but we do. Some folks have been interested in Constructed lately. We'll get to that in maybe a minute. Uh, but yeah, the, the discussion's been great. People are really awesome there, and it's a great place to be. Completely free. And the link to that is in the episode description as well as on our Twitter page. We also have a sponsor. Our show is brought to you by MTGAZone.com. MTG Arena Zone is your top destination for all Magic the Gathering arena articles, community, decks, news, and more. They have plenty of content for both constructed and limited, and they tend to highlight things like top archetypes, top decks, theory articles, and much more. And of course, we're part of their limited repertoire as well. Right now, it's a brand new standard format, right? Now is the time to start grabbing some decks, see what people are trying out, and MTGA Zone is a great place to do that. That's true. However, the show's not only brought to you by MTG Arena Zone, it is also brought to you by, well, you, via the Patreon. That's right, patreon.com forward slash draftchaffpod is a place you can go to give back to the show directly if you so desire. Of course, the show is always free, uh, always has been, always will be, but that's the best place to go to kind of give back to us and, and also back to the community. We're trying to give back pretty much everything we get from that into the community in some way, shape, or form. And no matter what tier you sign up on, we will shout you out on the on the episode. So this week we have one new patron to shout out, OD402. Folks who uh, have been in the Discord for some time should recognize that name. They've been pretty active and uh, we've had some really awesome discussions with them. So thanks for your support. We can't thank you enough. Yeah, uh, I also want to say a big thank you as well. And I, I, honestly, again, thanks to our patrons. This is awesome. We really appreciate you appreciating us. Zach and I have been uh, putting a lot of effort into this, and it's so awesome to know that you know people are hearing us. Yeah, and if you didn't tune in last week, we uh, completely revamped the Patreon. So if you've checked it out before but haven't seen it since last week, uh, I'd recommend going back if you maybe didn't see things that you liked or whatever. We completely revamped it. Whole new tiers, uh, new benefits for all the tiers. And there's a special founders tier. There's only one spot left for that. It's $5 a month. It includes coaching and some other things. So check that out if that's your thing. Mm-hmm. Not to mention my personal favorite tier, the one where I build you a deck and I mail it to you. <laughs> yeah, that that is a spicy one. <laughs> oh, I'm excited for that. Well, that brings us to our crack a draft type thing. Ben, I think you have uh, some special stuff for us this week. That's right. I got another real life pack for us. Now, mm-hmm. um, something I was thinking about as I opened this up, usually we do the crack a draft type things. We don't always do pack one pick ones. Sometimes we like to vary it and do say if we have an interesting pack two pick one or pack three pick five or mm-hmm. pack one pick four or something like that. So if you, the listeners, ever have interesting ones, feel free to tweet them at us or send us in the Discord. Maybe we can start pulling from listener ones as well. Absolutely. Yeah, that'd be really cool. Up first, we got Fisher Wizard. Solid little two drop. Goes well in the Wizards deck, and I've liked it a lot in Black Red Party. Next up, we've got Tazim Royal Mage. Uh, That's the kicker one. Returns an instant or sorcery. Kind of like a Snapcaster Mage. (laughs) It's a little slower. In this format, it does the trick. Yeah, for sure. 
getting back something like into the royal or removal spell with this is definitely a good way to close out games. Wow, uh, just a whole suite of playable two drops. Expedition Healer here is definitely one of the best white commons, and a two drop that really finds its home in the clerics deck and also some of the, the blue white party decks. Also, it's a key piece to the black white clerics. Mm-hmm. Did I say that already? I think I did. Yeah. Uh, well, that's just how important it is for black white clerics. You need it in there twice. <laughs> Most decks do um, two of them. Well, now we're going to see a slightly less playable two drop. Adventure awaits. I haven't cast this, have you? I haven't even like actually put it in a deck. It's been in like 15th pick sideboard material for me. Yeah, it turns out there's plenty of playables. So uh, spending a turn and some mana to find one. I don't know. I think I'd rather just draw the playable card, right? Yeah, absolutely. Next up, we got Hagra Constrictor. It's not the best card in the world, but I like playing one of these in black green counters. And occasionally this will sneak into like a mediocre uh, like black red or blue black deck. Yeah, if you're playing it in one of those decks, it's probably your last pick. And if you're playing it in black-green, you're not really happy about the way your draft went anyway, because black-green. <laughs> hey, d- don't bash my uh, my black-green garbage fires <laughs> decks. I-, I-, I win games with them sometimes. Wow, this is actually a pretty strong pack. Next up, we've got a Nahiri's Binding. Okay, definitely on the binding here. I think it- it's it's interesting, right? Because uh, more... And we're going to talk about this more next week. We're going to kind of do a, uh, a full format sort of... Uh, check-in but one of the most important things that i've noticed in this format is two drops it's a kind of a long game uh this format is the games tend to go long but two drops are super important and it's really easy to go a full draft and then realize oh crap i didn't pick up enough two drops like my curve is not good enough uh Mm -hmm. so a lot of these two drops we've talked about are high picks for me not pick one high but high picks because keeping good two drops is is really powerful in any format but this format seems to be the, the case specifically but here yeah. here's binding is so good um it's definitely one of the worst uh removal spells in my opinion keeping a creature on the board is not great it still helps with party it still helps with any other effects that care about having your creature on the battlefield but and especially with cards like uh the disciple that make you sack creatures like it's mm-hmm. it's not the not the best removal spell in the format but it, it gets the job done I can think of one particular blue uncommon that uh, doesn't really care much about Nahiri's binding, but uh, more on that later. Anyway, next up, we've got Skyclave Squid. I love the squid. (laughs) Okay, so I know you love the squid, and until last week's stream, I was not high on this card at all. Like, I I probably would have, I don't think I drafted the card before last weekend. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty high on the squid now. Like, it, it has done work for me. Yeah, it is overstated. It's a 2-mana 3-2 in blue. And yeah, it has Defender. It's an interesting design, right? Where the first few turns it'll be able to attack. And it turns out some of the blue decks actually do want this aggressive slant. The blue-black deck wants to get in there for damage. And while it is trying to mill, I think it typically tends to close the game by damage. Yeah, I agree. That that does tend to be the uh, pattern there. Next up, we have historic playable Tuck Tuck Rubble Fort. <laughs> yeah, definitely not a first pick. After that, we've got a Glacial Grasp. So that's all our commons. What do you think? I think I'm still on the binding here. All the two drops are very promising, and there's a chance we get one back, but I don't know. Binding, Mm -hmm. I like to pick up my removal early so I can focus on other things later in the draft. Yeah, binding, hope to wheel healer or something. Uh, Maybe there's like different points in the format where you take other things. So like Expedition Healer. I don't know. I I don't think Black-White is that much better than every other deck. I think black white is up there. Black white and red black are my two picks for top decks right now. But I don't think I'm willing to first pick healer over a removal spell. But let, let's get into our own commons, right? Mm-hmm. First up, we've got Vine Gecko. 
Vine Gecko's great. I love that that deck. Blue Green Kicker is one of my favorite archetypes in the format, and Vine Gecko is a great way, reason to get into it. So, do you take it over the binding? That's tough. I think I think I would, but I don't know that you're supposed to. I tend to just <laughs> I tend to just think that the blue green deck is too good not to get into when you can, and Vine mm-hmm. Gecko is a great way to tell your opponent I don't want to draft this deck if you're passing it. Yeah, that's true. It is very, very good in the kicker deck. It's almost like a blue-green uncommon. I've noticed this, too, that a lot of the supposedly single-colored uncommons, and even commons, are actually kind of like two-color. Not not even two-color, they're more like theme uncommons. More on that next week. I have some strong feelings about how this format has shaken out in its design. It's a very interesting format. But Next up, we've got Concerted Defense. I don't care about this. No, I honestly couldn't even tell you what the card does at this point. I've kind of blocked it out of my mind i don't think i ever play it uh yeah it's the one blue for an instant counter target non-creature spell unless its controller plays one plus an additional one for each creature in your party yeah all that nonsense who cares yeah not Um, playing that next up we've got song mad treachery this is three red red uh gain control of uh target creature gains haste blah, blah blah it's a flip land cool stuff right yeah, it's fine. I'm lower on it than I was at the beginning of the format. In fact, I think I'm lower on all the MDFCs than I was at the beginning of the format, but I guess you're probably taking it here over Gecko. I, I don't know. I think it's actually close. Yeah, I don't know. I'd probably lean towards Song Mad Treachery. I've been pretty impressed with it. Every once in a while, I uh, I just win a game off of it. Yeah, it, it can steal games. <laughs> well, uh, I know what I'm first pick slamming. It's our rare Phylath World Sculptor. Ooh. That's Violet the, uh, is a bomb. Avenger. Yeah, this is the little Avenger of Zendikar, except it goes tall instead of wide. I mean, yeah, I'm just going to take Phylath here. Yeah, it's interesting because there are like only a handful of cards that make me want to draft like actual green as a as an, an effect. Like Vine Gecko is a green card, but it's not really drafting green as a deck. Uh, usually in, in blue green, you want maybe a few green cards and then a bunch of blue kicker stuff. Mm-hmm. And maybe a splash with like basswood surge and that kind of thing, but green as a color actually in this format I think is kind of bad. Like the commons are pretty lackluster, and you really need like good uncommons or rares to get into the color. And red green is not a deck that I particularly like overall in this format. It gets there and it definitely can yeah. come together when it does. But Phyleth is a, is a this is a long winded way of saying that Phyleth is a reason to get into the deck. Yeah, it's a bomb. You're going to take it, uh, especially over the foil adventure awaits, which is actually very pretty. <laughs> uh, but we're not taking that that non-foil. I'm not taking this foil. Although, yeah, that's great art. Uh, Billy Christian, good on you. That looks great in foil. Yeah, Phylath for me. And uh, wow, I got a copy token. I guess this is for the Jace. That's interesting. It just says copy on it. It has a picture of Jace, but it says token. And it says this token can be used to represent a token that's a copy of a permanent. Oh, that's Wait, does Jace that's copy... Does Jace copy permanence? No, I, I he, thought copies he copied himself. himself. So what is? Uh, I don't. What are you supposed to do? Like, like grab a second Jace from your local game store and then put the copy token over top of it, or is this supposed to take the place of the second Jace? I think that's they could have at least the, like. Yeah, they should have just printed a Jace token. That's loose. Yeah, they should have uh, put abilities on it. But I guess if it's a Jace token, then is it any different than a? Yeah. Jace Planeswalker? I don't know. That's weird. That's weird. Whatever. I'm okay with grabbing a Phylath. Yeah. Yeah. Let's snag that Phylath and second pick a Cosmos fury or something yeah now uh let's get into our teferi and tybalt's this week you want to start us off sure yeah so i mean actually i'm gonna spoil it here but both of us i think have the same uh teferi this week but standard's actually like a playable format right now it's wild how many Weird. years has it been since standard is actually playable and enjoyable 
Well, I don't know. When did they start printing these cards that do ridiculously absurd things? Uh, I guess that was technically thrown, but I think it started slightly before that. Yeah, it's been a yeah. while. It's been a few years. Yeah, I mean, let's let's see. I'm not even going to bother rattling off the list of all the absurd cards we've dealt with recently. But as of right now, I think all the really egregious stuff is gone, right? Like, yeah. th- there's there's no Teferis. There's no Okos. There's no... No there's Cat no, Oven. No Cat Oven. There's no ETB, uh, draw a card, gain life, get some value stuff. Nope. I don't think. Except uh, Scale the Heights, but I don't think that one counts. Yeah. Yeah, so the format's playable again. I've been having a lot of fun with it, actually, lately. Um, I've been jamming Mono Black Enchantments. It's easily my favorite deck, like, constructed deck that I've played in quite some time. And, Ben, wow. I think that's big for you, especially because it doesn't have any blue in it. It's Mono Black. Yeah, that's that's something. Um, I'm currently... Uh, let's see, what am I? I, I have my, my record up here. I'm 72% overall, so I'm 13-5 and five in matches, and then I'm... 80% with the version of it that I'm playing right now, and that version is 8 and 2. That's sweet. So this deck is crushing. It's so much fun, and um, if you want the list, join the Discord. Yeah, I'm looking at the list right now, actually. <laughs> yeah, it's sweet. It's so weird because it doesn't look like a good deck. And actually, it's funny because uh, a while ago I told Ben, I was like, hey, I just played against this wild deck that doesn't. I don't actually know how it wins, and apparently now I don't know how it loses. <laughs> Four order of midnight. Oh yeah, what dude. is going on here? Deck is Feed gas. The swarm. Deck is gas. We'll talk about it off off, uh, off of our limited podcast, but um, yeah, it, it's really really fun. I'll have you yeah. know though, the the few decks that I've lost to were mono green. So, <laughs> mono green's coming back. Mid range is back on the menu. I'm excited. But my tip alt this week is that I've been dealing with some headaches for the last few days. It's not super fun when pretty much all of my time is spent on a computer. I work eight hours a day on a computer and then all of my hobbies are also on a computer. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's it's not the best when you have like, I, I don't want to call them chronic. They're not quite like that common or or even that bad. But I've been dealing with some like on, on again, off again headaches for the last couple of days, which isn't, isn't super fun. Have you considered uh, removing your head? And then you don't have to deal with the headache. I, I did think about it and it would go well with like the Halloween thing that's coming up. Yeah, like could, yeah, exactly. I could do like a headless horseman style costume of some kind. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that might work. Speaking of removing heads, what are you up to? <laughs> My tibble is that I've been really behind on grading. Like I said, I've got so many labs to grade tonight and that is going to eat into my lesson planning time for next week. And then I'll be behind next week when I have to grade that stuff. It, it's kind of like a... Like a like a tide that you're fighting against with with teaching, but once I get once I get ahead, then it feels great. Uh, so I just have to put in a ton of effort and a ton of time to get ahead, and then kind of ride that wave for as long as I can. So then when something comes up, then I'm just a parody, and then it's fine. Uh, yes, I do game theory my my, my <laughs> uh, teaching and grading processes. But that's sweet. Uh, I mean, hopefully you can get there. Uh, I guess we'll skip the stream this weekend, and you can uh, take your Saturday and jam some grades I, out. I don't know. I, I actually, I'm probably going to be going home this weekend, so I don't know if I'll have my full setup. But if you want to stream, I don't know if I'll be able to join with the face cam and everything like we did last time. But I'll, I'll definitely hop in and watch. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll keep you all posted about that. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what people are interested in doing. We still want to get some commander going at some point with our, our Discord, so maybe yeah. that could be the following weekend. Who knows? Anyway, my Teferi, like Zach said, is also that standard is a playable format again. I've been playing mostly historic, and I have my my, my brainchild baby mono green list that I absolutely adore. I'm still up in like about 70% win with it over 
I don't know, like 40 hours. I love this deck. Nice. I love casting Coco, but I'm trying to port it into standard and it doesn't feel quite the same without pelt collectors and, and all that stuff. But I don't know. I found that some of the cards can do pretty good impressions of the historic versions and maybe even tossing a few planeswalkers in. I've been trying like a green black mid range deck too. With uh, did you know that uh, Garrett Cursed Huntsman is still in the format? Remember <laughs> that that's still a playable card. Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen it cast against me, but it's it's there. Well, uh, turns out it's pretty good against a lot of the Luris strategies that people are doing right now. I'm telling you, four main deck scavenging ooze will get you so far in new standard. There's no Definitely. reason that a green deck shouldn't be playing four skews. And I love playing skews in any format. So, like I said, I'm very happy to be playing mid-range and setting my, my skews loose to feast on all the Luris graveyard nonsense that some of you are out there trying to do. Yeah, I mean, it works. Good luck getting your skews to survive past my dead weights, but yeah. Oh, come on. Have you ever seen a Scooze stay at 2-2 for long? <laughs> I only need a turn. That's fair. Anyway, uh, let, that's enough about Constructed. Let's save that. Let, let's relegate that to the Constructed section of the Discord, of the Discord, like some like dark corner that we were afraid to look into. Yeah, absolutely. Let's get back to the, the, the format of, I don't know, peace and, and, and equality of, of Limited. Yeah, so we've got a few listener questions this week. Uh, Dorigan in the Discord asks, what makes a limited format a favorite for you? For me, I kind of like... I'm one of those people who just has trouble doing the same thing over and over again, which is why, in general, I don't play Constructed all that often, because you're really rewarded in Constructed for jamming the same deck over and over so you can learn the ins and outs of that deck and its matchups and all of those things. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite things about Limited and why I like Limited so much is that every single deck is different like every time you sit down to draft you're you're drafting something different sure they might be shells of the same deck but they're they're still different uh overall so i think i think limited formats that have kind of like zendikar rising and why it's probably in my top five definitely my top 10 probably my top five maybe in my top three i'm not sure formats of all time is that every single archetype is pretty viable and because they don't stick to the the colors so much there aren't really like two color decks in the traditional sense they're more of these theme decks that ben kind of hinted at before it makes it so that you can draft any colors you want and still put a decent deck together and still be completely competitive with the top decks so that's that's kind of what makes limited format a favorite for me what about you ben I would say for a limited format, for me to call it my one of my favorites, and I do have some just off the top of my head, honestly, Arena Cube is one of the most recent ones. And thinking about that, it has a good power level. It's high, high power level, but balanced. It has very aggressive strategies. It has very controlling strategies. And it has things in between. So this kind of is like what you were saying, where you need a good mix of different ways that you can play the game. I mean, people like making choices, right? That's why Magic is such a popular game. That's why uh, so many things that are popular are popular. Think of something that's popular. Ask yourself, does it allow people to make choices and express themselves? Odds are the answer is yes, right? And uh, let me think. Another one of my favorites was not Amonkhet Remastered. I guess Amonkhet Remastered, but I want to say Hour of Devastation Limited because that incorporated some of the aggressive strategies from Amonkhet. And then it, it infused into the format. This is when there were small sets. So you would draft two packs of the small set and one pack of the big set. So this infused this aggressive format with all these mid-rangey and late-game over-the-top cards. And there were single-card things that you could do. 
right? There was um, Approach of the Second Sun, so you could do the Approach of the Second Sun's deck. There was Sandworm Convergence, so you could do the Sandworm Convergence deck. I like limited formats that have a big variety in the ways that you can play the game. So with the, the different speeds... And then I also think that for me to really love it, it has to have that special little thing that you figure out almost on your own. Like when you go, oh, I, I did this deck and it worked. Like I made this work. Like I, I, I saw all the Lego pieces in front of me and I made this thing that no one's ever seen before. Right. Mm -hmm. So that might be, I don't know, shrines wasn't great in M21, but that type of thing or like a gates deck in in uh, the Ravnica set recently. I loved drafting five color gates. So mm -hmm. much fun. That's another one that's up there for me. So I'd say the ability to choose a deck that has different speeds each time you draft and the ability to go over the top and just do something ridiculously fun. I mean, that's why we're playing this game, right? Yeah, some of that flexibility definitely adds to uh, good format. So that's kind of why Cons of Tarkir is like an all-timer as well. It, it just mm -hmm. it just supported everything and had color support for fixing. And it, it, yeah, that, that kind of flexibility makes a format really good. Yeah. That's our next question. Next up, Boy 13 asks, what's your most recent gameplay level up? Ooh, gameplay questions. What do you think? So gameplay level up, certainly not my most recent. Uh, I, I probably should have prepped for this question a little bit better, but one of my one of my most impactful gameplay level ups was understanding just how powerful making use of all your mana every cycle of turns goes, uh, just mm -hmm. how powerful that is. So what I mean here is that on turn two, you're spending two mana. On turn three, you're spending three. On turn four, you're spending four. It might not be that you're casting a four drop or a three drop or a two drop, but in some combination of cards, you're, you're spending all of your mana by the time it's your next turn, whether that's with instants or creatures or whatever. You're making use of all the resources you have available every single turn, and every time you play against an opponent who's not doing that, your win rate skyrockets if you are doing mm -hmm. that. And so I think that was my most impactful gameplay level up. Most recent, I think, probably has been actually, like, understanding and learning. Uh, maybe this doesn't count as gameplay, but, like, learning all of the cards in the set faster and actually keeping track of, oh, my opponent might have this or my opponent might have that. And yeah. so I shouldn't make this play because I'm going to get completely blown out. That, that, I think that's probably my most recent level up, but I honestly don't remember when that happened. So, so for me, the most recent gameplay level up I can think of actually revolves around these MDFCs. Um, so this is specific to uh, Zendikar Rising Limited. I've been noticing that depending on when you play them, when you draw them, a lot of different things can happen. And we've actually been having some good conversations about this in our Discord. So about when to play them turn one, when to wait and play them later. And I guess specifically in opening hand evaluation, like if I see two lands in an MDFC, I'm like, okay, well, I guess I should play the MDFC first. But then I look at my hand and I'm like, well, I have like two two drops and two three drops. Maybe I actually just want to play, or maybe I just actually want to play a basic turn one. And statistically, I'll probably draw a basic in the next two to three turns. And then I have the MDFC as an extra card. That's kind of been a level up for me. Uh, being a bit more critical and intentional about how I view the MDFC in my hand. And uh, actually, this is a level up that I noticed this week. Um, this is something that a lot of us do unconsciously. Uh, and this is, I guess, more constructed, but it'll, it'll come up in limited every once in a while. When you have removal that can hit a creature or a planeswalker and your opponent is tapped out and they have one creature blocking their planeswalker, you want to hit the creature with the removal and then attack the planeswalker with your stuff. 
Right? Yeah, yeah. I think um, I think prioritizing removal has also uh, is also a big level up. You kind of touch on because understanding when to you know early on in my magic career, I would fire off my removal spells at just about anything just so I could chip some damage in, mm-hmm. and understanding that like no, I should probably save this because I can deal with their tutu later, whether it's through blocks or whatever. Like that tutu's not killing me. But when they slam yeah. their bomb after I use my best removal spell on their tutu, I'm pretty sad about it. Yeah, in this case, it was almost the opposite. I had an opponent who, uh, I, I had a 5-5 five five and a Garrick. And my opponent had like three tutus and uh, a kill spell in hand. And they targeted their kill spell at Garrick. And I was like, wait a minute, you could have just hit my 5-5 five five <laughs> and yeah. then swung to kill Garrick. That's literal card advantage. Uh, speaking of ridiculous, unbeatable late game bombs... Oh, geez. Let's get into our main topic for today. Now, Ruin Crab is not actually that, but Ruin Crab is our Draft Chaff hero for this format. For those that don't know, we've only had one other Draft Chaff hero show. So those that might be newer, our last one was Season Hallowblade. We're adding another one to our Draft Chaff hero roster. We like to do this once a set. We focus on a particular common or uncommon or maybe like bulk rare or something that has had a significant impact on the limited environment. So this chaff has risen above the rest, right? Uh, I recommend picking this kind of thing up for your casual decks or commander or cards like this often break into standard as well. So actually, our last draft chaff hero season, Hallowblade, we were right. We predicted it would have an impact in standard at some point, And I saw a lot of little white weenie lists going around trying to make this thing work. I think it's actually been showing up in historic as well. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely, definitely seeing constructed play. Now, I know what a lot of you are thinking. Ruin Crab, did they not see that Roost of Drakes is in this format? Yes, yes, (laughs) yes, we saw that Roost of Drakes is in the format. Yes, it's busted. Yes, it's mythic uncommon. But honestly, it's a little too... It kind of feels weird to say this, but it's a little too vanilla for what we consider to be a draft chaff hero. We could we could say Roost of Drakes is the draft chaff hero because it's maybe the best uncommon and probably is the best uncommon. But there's not really a whole lot to say about it. You just slam your four your four drop, you play all your kicker stuff, and there you go. You won the game. Ruin Crab actually has a few little nuances here that we're gonna highlight and and cover here that kind of have some some thinking aspects to it that make it a little bit more interesting to play with and against than Roost of Drakes, which is why Ruin Crab beat out Roost of Drakes for our Draft Chef Hero this go-around. Mm-hmm. It was close, though. Uh, they're obviously both very strong. I will say uh, one of them is much better on turn one, though. <laughs> agreed, agreed. And uh, anyway, that, that's the crab. So we're going to break down a few aspects of the crab, uh, what the crab himself does, and... Uh, Talk about some different ways that this card can play out in Limited and why we actually think it's worthy of this this honor, this title. So obviously, this is a spiritual successor to the old Zendikar card, Hedron Crab. The only difference was that uh, that one, you could target both yourself and your opponent, and that one was actually a 0-2, whereas Ruin Crab is up to a 0-3 and only hits opponents. So uh, again, that's landfall. So whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, each opponent mills three cards. So it's, again, one blue for a 0-3 crab. Now, the creature itself, it isn't a great body, but this is actually a little bit above rate. It technically passes the vanilla test, right? So this can jump in front of any of the two power creatures in the format. And I've been noticing there's not actually a lot of pump spells. There's inordinate rage, but usually, um, like, black and, uh, and green have some, like, decent little pump spells. I don't know, Vastwood Fortifications there. There are a few in white as well. Yeah, but I've been noticing that they're not as valuable in this format. People aren't really playing them, especially compared to like M21. 
Mm-hmm. So this thing will often be able to jump in front of a, a, an attacker several turns in a row. And yeah. uh, just something to note before I forget, if you have a Ruin Crab in your deck, you always want to play a blue source turn one in case you top deck it. And uh, that way you can play it and then play a land on, on turn two, which obviously triggers landfall if you don't have another two drop to play. That's the first section I want to talk about, actually, the landfall trigger. Does milling have value in this format? I think it does. Milling, uh, or as it used to be, like putting the top card of your library. I'm so glad they shorthanded it. It took them so long. <laughs> yeah, it's, it needed to be done. So it puts the top three into the graveyard. So statistically, this doesn't matter that much, right? The, the, the statistical probability of hitting any single card, excluding multiples, from your opponent's deck is the same. Right, like you're you're no more likely to hit one thing than the other. You're not trying to like get them or like mill specific cards. But that being said, occasionally you'll mill their bomb or their removal spell, and they won't have a way in their deck to get it back. So there is value in itself to milling, although it's not much. It's incidental. It is there, but in a funny way, Ruin Crab kind of protects itself. So as you start milling your opponent, you might happen to spike some answers. Right, like if you happen to hit their one or two kill spells that deals with Ruin Crab. For example, Bubble Snare, Nahiri's Binding, they don't do it. And those are pretty commonly played removal spells. Limited players usually have a removal suite of like, what, four or five removal spells in a good deck? Ideally, If yeah. one or two of those, yeah, if one or two of those is a, a Bubble Snare or a, a Binding or something, that's not going to do it. So if you happen to mill over their one, I don't know, Thunderous Rebuke or something, I don't know, Ruin Crab's going to be sticking around for a lot longer then. There are kind of two schools of thought, I think, with milling. There's like the general kind of new to magic thought and, and, and idea behind milling where it's, whoa, I can take cards out of my opponent's library and prevent them from casting those cards. This is the best thing ever. I have to mill everything. And then there's the, the kind of more seasoned, I've been at this game for a while approach, which is until they're dead, milling does zero, right? Mm-hmm. And there's there's kind of a bit in between. And I think... Ruin Crab kind of rides the line on that where because it's a repeated effect and you're actually milling relatively quickly like three cards three cards is, is enough to matter uh, over so many turns right and in limited 40 card decks you know you're milling a good portion of their deck almost a tenth of their deck with every with every mill and by the time you're doing it it is probably more than a tenth but mm. you know it's it doesn't actually kill the opponent until they have no cards left to draw. And for any new players who don't understand what we're talking about here, uh, if a player does not have a card to draw from their library when they have to draw for the turn, they lose the game. So mm-hmm. it is a win condition, but it takes a while to get there. And I think that's the the limiter that a lot of people miss when they're new to the game and evaluating these cards. It's not enough to just have one Ruin Crab in your deck and be like, yeah, I'm just going to win by milling them out. Probably not going to happen. That being said, it can mill your opponent out, uh, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. this is a way to kind of break up a, a game. It, it, it changes the game in, in its own way. I actually, I've come up with the, this little idea. I, I'm calling the crab mind game. Totally missed there. You should have called it the shell game. I don't know how you missed that. I, I really don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I'm, I've had a long day. That's my excuse. The, the Wish Queen, not Wish Queen Crab, jeez. The, uh, the Ruin Crab, I'm getting all my, my crabs mixed up in magic. There's not that many of them. The Ruin Crab is a win con on its own. And it kind of makes your opponent play this, this mind game, right? So imagine for a second that you're playing Blue Green Kicker. You're in a, a board state against the mirror match. You kind of have a stalled board. 
you had a turn one ruin crab, so you've been milling them a good amount. And you have out a veteran explorer, the 3-3 three, three flying elemental, and a bunch of 2-2s two, and 3-3s. Three, so your opponent, let's say they have a, a kill spell, like a fight spell or something. Where do they point it? So do they, do they take out your 3-3 three, three flyer? Do they take out your 5-5 five, five vigilance? Or do they take out your crab? What, what would you hit here? Yeah, I mean, it totally depends on my board state, right? Context is everything. But it is a tough decision because... You know, this rune crab's been sitting around, you're milling your, 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 they're milling you out. And, you know, if we're at the point where I have a board like this, or, or my opponent has a board like this, a veteran explorer, the three, three, the two twos and three threes, the crab, we're probably getting close to milling me out. I would think I'd probably have less, maybe around, give or take a few, around a dozen cards or so probably are left in my library, if that. Yeah, yeah. And that sounds about right. That is four four lands away. Now, if my opponent's playing a deck that can't really capitalize, maybe they're in blue black and happen to be playing a crab for some reason. That's that's fine. But if they happen to have the uh, what's the the uncommon that is an instant that you sack land and get two lands, like well, there's half of the the job done for them. So it, it kind of depends on the deck they're playing. It kind of depends on my board. If I'm able to race them, and the crab's not actually holding anything back, and I'm gonna be able to force them to block. It's tough because, you know, four or five turns is not a lot when you're at a board stall. So, yeah, I, I think I'd probably, I'd, I'd be tanking on this quite a bit. Yeah, so I actually had this exact situation come up and my opponent took out the crab. It might be correct. Um, I, I, it's really tough. It really depends on the board state. The thing is, you can kill the crab and try to, like, close out the game, just get it over with. Or uh, you could choose to not kill the crab and try to get it over with even faster. Or, see, if you don't kill the crab, you run the risk of the board state continuing in a stall. Like, maybe you top-decked a flyer, and you're like, all right, cool, I'll play my flyer. And then the opponent also top-decks a flyer. So it kind of requires the opponent to split their resources. So um, th this is the crab mind game, right? It allows you to pressure your opponent in two ways rather than one. And kind of effortlessly, right? Instead of pressuring them with damage, now you're pressuring them. Uh, and I guess maybe pressuring isn't the right way. Uh, like you said, milling doesn't do much until the, they're milled out entirely. So it's more like um, not pressure, but uh, I don't know, a piano hanging over your head. <laughs> yeah, it's, so. it's like this inevitable sort of small little thing that's sitting there the entire game that is eventually going to kill you. And... Yeah, like crab's not the best top deck, but when it when it does its thing and it's played optimally and it hits the hits the, the board early, it, yeah, it puts you in this situation where you're like, wait, if I don't kill this, it's gonna kill me by itself. I don't care what the what the rest of the board is gonna do, but at mm -hmm. the same time, you do care about the rest of the board because if you kill the crab and they can just overrun you, then it doesn't matter anyway. Yeah, and like I said, not all of your kill spells actually deal with this. So, are you spending unconditional removal on? A one drop that's not actually affecting you uh technically now your opponent has to plan which way they want to win right the ground game or the long game and even if they choose the ground game you still have a zero three blocker like that that can help right yeah so most players i've noticed don't actually like the crab mind game very much a lot of players will just kill the crab on site and honestly that's fine when your opponent trades their unconditional removal for your one drop that wasn't actually doing much, that, that's pretty good. It, you're at least netting mana advantage there. If not, you know, card advantage. Uh, because, you know, it's a one for one, but, you know, that can be a decent little tempo swing. When your opponent taps out turn four to kill your one drop and you get to play your four drop instead, that's pretty good for you. 
Yeah, unless your game plan is like, I need this crab to win, to, to stick around so I can win by mill because otherwise my deck is incapable of winning the game. Mm -hmm. If that is not your situation, your opponent pointing their Royal Eruption or their Deadly Alliance or their Feed the Swarm at your Ruin Crab makes you feel so good. So the crab kind of gets points here for doing, uh, not, not only for what it does, but also what it makes your opponent do in some situations. Mm-hmm. I think overall, the crab can serve three main purposes. So it's a, it can be a win con when your deck is built on it. I had a draft where I first picked Ruin Crab and second picked Ruin Crab. And from that point, I was like, all right, I'm taking every single card that says mill, right? And every single like a oh, land yeah. getter from my, to, to get lands out, find lands. Like, this is going to be great. <laughs> it was a sweet deck. So it can be a win con when you have a deck that is built to focus onto it. Uh, it can be an enabler where sometimes... You're just trying to turn on other specifically rogue themes. Uh, and it can also be a lightning rod, right? It can just be a thing that your opponent has to deal with. And most opponents, as we've seen, will deal with. Evidence kind of has been showing that most people are pretty afraid of the crab. So given the chance to kill it, they'll usually take it. And I think all these are pretty reasonable uses for a one drop, right? Yeah, you're always netting mana. There's not really a way in the format to deal with a one mana card with out more than one mana right so mm -hmm. uh yeah i don't it's just a great spot for the crab to be in this this format is one of the better ways like one of the better formats and sort of contexts that i can see the crab being in mm -hmm. so i want to get into some of the archetypes where the crab can you know find its home <laughs> so because of how this set is designed the different archetypes as i've been calling the different different plans uh, use this card in different ways. So you could have a blue-green deck that behaves more like a blue-red wizards deck, right? We've seen some of these blue-green wizards decks come together where they're playing, what is it, that one's Relic Amulet? And it actually can trigger it pretty, pretty reasonably, right? So, so that kind of blue-green deck will use Ruin Crab more like a blue-red deck than the blue-green deck I'm going to be talking about here. So when I talk about these, uh, these archetypes, I'm talking about like, the conventional one. Um, and then if you have a bit of a rogue strategy, sorry, not like literal rogues, I'm just mean like, like rogue, rogue, like uh, unconventional strategy, we'll say, such as like a blue-green uh, wizard's deck or uh, something of the sort, I don't know, or like black-green party or, uh, I don't know, red-white party, things like that. Uh, you get what I'm saying. Different decks can behave different ways. So if you find yourself in one of those situations, evaluate your deck and how the crab would fit into your deck in the theme that it's doing, in what it's trying to be, rather than as just the color pair, because it might not always be accurate. Definitely. And like we said a few times, we'll be talking more about that next week. Yep. So the first one is blue-black mill. This is probably the most natural home for our, our little crustacean friend, as there's a million commons and uncommons that care about turning on rogues or doing mill, and occasionally you can even put together a real mill deck from this. I'm sorry, did you say uh, a million? Oh, man. I, I missed that, too. <laughs> man, I'm off it today. <laughs> I need to sleep more. But, uh, yeah, sometimes you just open up two crabs, right? And you get to really go in on it. Uh, sometimes the crab is more of an engine piece in blue-black, though, instead of being, like I said, uh, instead of being the win con. Sometimes it's more of the enabler, right? Where you play a turn one crab and you play a few lands and it turns on every single one of your rogues. Uh, I found that the rogues decks, uh, while they do mill themselves, they typically win via damage. Yeah. I, it, it's been pretty close. I want to say like 60% of the time rogues kills me via damage. And then like between 35 and 40, they mill me out. 
Yeah, I don't, I don't know that I've actually ever been completely milled by the rogues deck. Uh, I haven't mm-hmm. played against it all that often, to be honest with you. But yeah, it t- I think that's the way you want to think about it. Like typically, it's just killing you with damage, and all of its cards get better when you have a few cards in your graveyard. They don't really care about all of your cards being there. Exactly, and like I was saying before, don't just you know jam a, a ruined crab into like a blue black party deck, which I have actually seen get off the ground because it won't have the same kind of synergy there. But if you have like a soaring thought thief, well, then you definitely want a ruined crab, and it'll be a good enabler. And uh, you know, make sure you pick up some blood beckonings to <laughs> ensure you can resurrect your crab from the grave a few times if you need to. This is one of the places where you can legitimately mill your opponent out. Yeah, this is probably the best shell for this deck no pun intended <laughs> uh, the best shell for oh, this card i should say but yeah Weird. blue black is is the the natural home for for ruin crab killing out these puns today man oh, yeah next up is blue green kicker this is kind of uh more of the lightning rod role that we see ruin crab is able to take it can be a win con at times uh, especially when you have a lot of cards like reclaim the waste or vastwood surge to get those extra lands out of the deck and onto the battlefield but typically, you kind of want this here just to eat removal spells. The deck kind of has some ways to protect it, and it benefits from being more of a long game deck, so the 0-3 body is helping a lot there as well. Uh, the kicker decks love the getting the 7th mana source, so the crab kind of just sits at home with these landfall triggers going off as you're trying to collect your resources in order to cast your big kicker spells. And as we said, it's a great lightning rod to draw removal away from your bigger threats that are going hit to the, hit the ground later in the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, like I said, I actually once saw an opponent target my Ruin Crab instead of my 4-4 Flyer. <laughs> like, come on, what, what more could you want? Unconditional removal, not hitting your Sarah Angel or whatever. Yeah, awesome. And yeah, exactly. I think the Crab ends up being more of a, a Lightning Rod in this one. But, you know, sometimes you'll go late enough that it ends up having a pretty big effect. Last up, we've got Blue-Red Wizards and Blue-White Party. It's pretty much strictly a Lightning Rod here, where if Blue-Green Kicker, maybe it's like 70% Lightning Rod, 30% Win Con. It's not really an enabler in that one. Uh, Blue-Green doesn't play too many rogues that care about being turned on via the the cards in the graveyard. In Blue-Red Wizards and Blue-White Party, I found it to be not great. It's not its best home. Sometimes it'll sit around, and and I guess if the game goes long enough, it can win games, but it's pretty much just a, a you know, eater removal spell there. Yeah, it's nothing special. I mean, Blue-Red Wizards is one of the few decks... A lot of the decks in this format are very synergistic, but it's one of the few decks that, that cares really heavily about those blue and red tribal cards. Uh, so running a single creature that doesn't actually help your, your plan here, and similar to the party deck... Running a creature that doesn't actually help you out in those situations is not really great. Plus, neither of those decks really care about the mill uh, component either. Mm-hmm. So I hope by listening to this, you've gotten a better idea of what to do with the uh, the Ruin Crab. I'm actually comfortable first picking this. I think it can be a really fun build around. I like where blue is at in this format. I think it can go a lot of different directions. And come on, every once in a while, it's nice to play a different kind of game than you're, than you're used to, right? Like I said, this kind of turns it into a sub game where your opponent has to think okay am i going to be able to beat them am i up against the clock so i recommend if you haven't yet uh, give this little guy a shot just because it's got zero power doesn't mean it's useless yeah i think that's a great great way to wrap it up of course if you are still kind of on the edge kind of on the fence check out the discord it's worth your while i promise you're gonna enjoy the time there um, everybody's been super, super nice, and we've been having some great discussions, as we said earlier on mm-hmm. in the episode. 
Again, the link for that is in the episode description as well as on our Twitter page at DraftChaffPod. As well, go check out the Patreon if that's your thing. If you want to give back to the show, get involved in some different decision-making processes that we're going to be uh, rolling out in the future via polls and things of that nature, some various uh, patron-exclusive giveaways and, and things like that. So check that out if that's your thing as well. Otherwise, you can find me at Randick Alfredian on uh, Twitter. You can find Ben at Betafish1 on Twitter. You can find the podcast at DraftChaffPod. And you can also email us directly at DraftChaffPod at gmail.com. All of that information is also in the episode description. That'll do it for us this week. Thanks for listening, folks. And uh, don't forget to pick up those crabs. All right. That's actually a pretty good segue into our sign-off today. How many crabs do you think there are in Magic, Zach? Ooh, total just creature type crab. Creature type crab, yeah. Uh, well, let's see. There's ruin crab. There's hedron crab. There's cherix, which I think is a crab. I know he's a leviathan, but I think it's a leviathan crab. Mm-hmm. Uh, if he's not, that art is really terribly misplaced. <laughs> um, they should have given that to ruin crab. Uh, I can I can't think of any more than the ones I've just named off the top of my head. My guess is there's probably like half a dozen or so, somewhere in the around six. There's 29. Holy. And I'm about to run through the top five crabs in Magic the Gathering. Top five on uh, what standard? The Ben standard. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, For those that don't know, I'm uh, both Zach and I both are from right next to the ocean. And I have surfed my whole life. I used to be a surf instructor. I'm very, uh, I'd consider myself an ocean aficionado. Uh, to the point where I'm pretty comfortable diving into the ocean, diving down and like picking up crabs off the bottom of the ocean. So I consider myself something of a crab whisperer. I think I'm a pretty good authority on crab rankings. That being said, uh, ruined crab, unfortunately, doesn't make the list. It turns out there's a lot of other very pretty, very powerful and uh, perhaps uh, fun crabs in Magic the Gathering. So we're going to start with an honorable mention. Which uh, shark to shark to crab. Oh yeah, shark to crab. I totally forgot shark to crab had a had card type crab for some reason. Yeah. So uh, or shark to crab, shark to crab. Um, this was uh, from the new, the new Ravnica set. So it was a. It's technically a fish octopus crab, which is why it can't make the list. It's not a true crab. Uh, but this is a fun guy. Uh, you could adapt it, put counters on it, and tap down a thing, and it wouldn't untap during its opponent's next untap step. It was also a format of 4-4, and it was blue-green. So, again, uh, it, it's kind of like an outsider crab. It's not a true crab. So, uh, first up at number five, we've got Thassa's Emissary. This is a three and a blue for a 3-3 enchantment creature crab. It has bestow for five and a blue, and if you bestow it, it's an aura instead of a creature. So whenever it or enchanted creature deals combat damage to a player, draw a card. Or the enchanted creature gets plus three, plus three, and has that same text. I love Thassa's Emissary. Oh, yeah, it's great. I had no idea Thassa's Emissary was a crab, though. Yeah, weirdly enough, um, it's not like a spirit crab or anything. It, it's a literal crab, although it does have that awesome Nyx art. It is by far the most uh, ethereal and, and beautiful of the crabs on this list, uh, but that does still put it in at number five. Next up, we've got High Tide Hermit. This one is from back in Kaladesh. This is four and a blue for a four four. It has defender, and when it enters the battlefield, you get four energy counters. You can pay two energy. High Tide Hermit can attack this turn as though it didn't have defender. For those that didn't play during Amonkhet, or not Amonkhet, um, Kaladesh. Uh, Kaladesh, yeah, during Kaladesh, this crab was actually begrudgingly good. And also, it has my favorite crab art of, of any crabs. It's a huge hermit crab. It's like as tall as a person. But it's really, really cute. 
uh, recommend looking it up. And energy was very broken in that format. Um, you could do some really dumb things if you had enough energy. And often, by the time you were cashing this, you had a, a good amount of energy as is, uh, especially if you're playing blue-green. Well, yeah. it turns out blue-green having non-interactive strategies, it goes back pretty far. And we'll be getting more of it with Kaladesh Remastered. Oh, that, that'll be fun. So next up, we have Drownyard Behemoth. This is nine mana for a 5-7 Eldrazi Crab. Oh my gosh, uh, I forgot about this card too. <laughs> it has Flash and has Emerge 7 and a blue, which let you uh, cast this spell by sacking a creature and paying the Emerge cost minus the sacked creature's converted mana cost. So it was kind of like you were mutating this onto it, except you sacked the creature and it costs less depending on what the thing you're mutating onto was. So uh, it has Hexproof as long as it entered the battlefield this turn. So this was a cool spell. Uh, this was a lot of fun and limited. And also, it's huge. Like, these Eldrazi crabs are terrifying. They have great art as well. There's another one called Vexing Scuttler. Uh, it's literally a boat that has like been Eldrazi mutated into a giant crab. It's pretty funny. Yeah, good stuff. So in second place, we actually do have Cherix, the Raging Isle. Now, Ooh. it's a Leviathan crab, but I take that as like an augmentation to the fact that it's a crab. Like, it's just a huge crab. Uh, again, that's two blue-blue yeah. for a 0 17. Like, come on. Yeah, it's just great. Rune crab and, hit the gym. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, this thing is thick. Right. And, Honestly, uh, if it wasn't a legend, like if it didn't need a name attached to it, they could have called this ruin crab and I would have been perfectly happy because this thing <laughs> ruins stuff like no <laughs> doubt. The alternative definition of ruin. Yeah, no, this thing is great. It's actually pretty good and limited too. you really need flyers to get over this. Uh, I've played red green and just been absolutely brick walled by this. Oh, yeah. Now, uh, actually last, I hate to say it, but I um. I kind of slipped the name of the number one crab already. I, I, I said it by mistake because I had it up on the other screen. It's Wishcoin Crab. Wishcoin Crab is the number one crab in Magic the Gathering because of the flavor text. Okay. Because of the flavor text. And uh, alternatively, if you reject my, my notion that this is the number one, I would actually accept Hedron Crab at, at this point instead. Uh, Hedron Crab probably should be at the spot. On I was going to say, if, if, you don't, if you don't put Hedron Crab at one, Hedron Crab didn't even make the list. Yeah, no, no. Hedron Crab does deserve to be on here. Maybe, maybe. All right, it's a two-way tie for first. <laughs> oh, uh, but Hedron Crab, actually, I do have a special place for in my heart uh, because I play it in my very first commander deck that I built on my own in Bruna Light of Alabaster, where you want to reanimate auras onto Bruna. So Hedron Crab, target yourself, is a, a great way to play. But no, uh, the true number one crab, Wishcoin Crab, from a bunch of sets, M21, Ravnica, it's a... Three and a blue for a two five, and it's uh, it's number one because of its flavor text. Allow me to read. What wishes do they grant? Mostly pinching related ones. Jeez, <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna take I'm gonna take an excerpt from one of my favorite bits of. Actually, this isn't an excerpt. This is the entire flavor text from uh. my favorite cards. No. <laughs>